0: All right, let's uh, pray together so we can begin. Our loving God, thank you so much for the privilege we have to study your precious words. We pray for your guidance, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The the whole week is titled Inspiration, and the reason why is because uh, with all that is taking place around us, Uh, Most people do not realize that the real issue underlining this whole controversy is whether or not you can trust the Bible. That's the real issue. It may have the title of women ordination, it may have whatever other name, uh, but the real underlining uh, attack is whether or not you can actually trust the Bible and you may think well that's strange for christians to question whether or not you can trust the bible but it should not be strange because we know that we are in a great controversy and because we are in a great controversy if you want if you want to steer people in the wrong direction given the wrong compass there was a uh, a flight that had just finished bombing Germany and they were on their way back to their base. However, when they noticed the uh, instruments, the instrument was telling them that they had overpassed where they were supposed to be landing. The problem was that... They knew they were not supposed to be at that point by a certain time. So what they did was they concluded that somehow the enemy had uh, affected their compass. And they decided not to pay attention to it until they actually reached the time that they knew was supposed to take to reach their base. However, they ran out of gas and landed in the desert in Africa. They all died. When they finally uh, located the plane, they found that one of the airmen had walked over 200 miles. Of course, the desert is so large that even 200 miles is not sufficient. So he's the one that lasted the longest. And when they took all the instruments on the airplane, they found that all the instruments were working perfectly. And what happened was, simply, that their compass was working correctly. They just did not believe the compass. They believed the watches. And what actually took place was that there was a tailwind that drove them faster. And because they didn't understand that the tailwind had driven them faster than they were supposed to reach their point of destination, they assumed that the compass was wrong. They all lost their lives. And so, if you believe that the Bible is your compass, never assume, what did I say? Never assume that the compass is wrong. I heard one amen. Amen. What did I say? Never assume that the compass is wrong. The problem may simply be that other factors may be confusing you but the compass never goes wrong north is always north isn't that true and so bible inspiration jesus used the scriptures if you look at chapter matthew 4 through 7 we're not going to read it right now but most of you are acquainted with what is called the beatitudes are you acquainted with that yeah. and the beatitudes basically is Christ expounding upon the, the principles of heaven and what those principles are and how they are to impact the lives of those who would be believers so in the chapter 4 through verse, chapter 4 through 7 he uses the scriptures to correct wrongs to or ideologies or cultural or otherwise to establish a truth Or to encourage faithfulness and obedience. So the scriptures was a main focal point of direction. And any time that Christ wanted to establish the truth, he always pointed to the scriptures. Whether he was dealing with a cultural issue or a principle, he always turned to the scriptures. He also pronounced the word as the only source of power over temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. And unequivocally stated that it was that which proceeded out of the mouth of God. He said to the devil, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And when he said every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, he was quoting Moses. He was quoting who? Moses. Moses. Who was quoting God. And so Jesus simply established the Bible as the authority for every issue in life. And that through it, man can find salvation I was just teaching a class via Skype to my class over in uh, Oregon. My wife and I still run the School of Evangelism. We've uh, compressed it to 40 days as opposed to three and a half months. And so we have the students right now over there. And uh, because I'm over here, the the only way I can teach is by Skype until I get over there. So I was just teaching this principle and I want to share it with you. If you take the first two chapters of the Bible and you take the last two chapters of the Bible, they're a mirror image. In other words, the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, speak about Eden being created, man being created, a perfect home, perfect diet, Perfect face-to-face communion between man and God. Perfect harmony between man and man. And uh, that there was no death, there was no sorrow, there was no pain, there was no cry. That's the first two chapters. If you go to the last two chapters, you find the same thing. Face-to-face communion, a perfect home, the tree of life. Everything is again perfect. The Bible then is to tell you how to get from point A to point Z. From Eden lost to Eden restored. Those first two chapters, the last two chapters, are God's ideal for his people. What it was and what it shall be again. And any doctrine that does not fit within that scope, there's something wrong with it. Can I say that again? Any doctrine that does not fit within that scope, there's something wrong with it. I have uh, worked on now for many years on 28 presentations showing every doctrine from Eden to Eden. How you can trace all of our teachings from Eden to Eden. And so, Christ then came to reinforce... That which he had taught his people that they can count on. And that was the word of God. Because God is the source of the word and the source of life. Jesus confirms that the words that I speak unto you. They are what? They're spirit and they are life. You want life? Then you have to accept that which God says gives life. So his words give life. It is through the exceeding great and precious promises, found, of course, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, of the word that we might be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the sin of the world through lust. In other words, through the Bible, there are over 3,000 plus promises that are written there for the specific purpose of you becoming a partaker of the divine nature. Now, that may seem... Uh, a little strange because you would assume that God is the only one that has divine nature. But apparently from what the promise says, God wants to recreate in each one of you his image and the way he does it is through the exceeding great and precious promises. So that through the promises, as you partake of them, it is like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The more you partake of the word of God, The more you behold his character, the more you become like him. And that's why it says, as you behold, you become changed. So if you want to become Christ-like, then you behold Christ. If you want to become like anything else, then you behold that. And as you behold, you become changed. And so, in order for you and I to escape the corruption that's in the world through us, we need then to have in us that which can uh, effectively nullify Or destroy that which can change us into a corruptible thing. We need to become incorruptible, and the only way to do that is through the incorruptible word of Christ, through his word. Now, it is by taking heed to that word that a young man can cleanse his way, Psalms 119, and not sin against thee. And by hearing it, faith awakens, Romans chapter 10, of course, verse 17. Therefore, therefore, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. He never made his word subject to dissecting. On the contrary, it was to be the dissector. And so here's the statement For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any to sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a designer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Lord intended for his word not just to be a book like any other book. He intended that book to actually have within it the element that energizes and enables you to accomplish that which otherwise you could not accomplish in your own strength. Now, if you're wondering why I'm trying to move ahead fast, it's because I have a lot to cover. Having such an element as this at our reach, I would certainly be afraid of any attempts to cut out any part as what? Culturally uninspired. And I'm referring to the new hermeneutics, which is called the principal historical uh, hermeneutics that has just been introduced as a new way to interpret the scriptures by some in our uh, division. And so, he intended that the word be maintained intact because the scriptures are filled with many, many cultural situations, such as, for example, the, the cultural aspect of in those days, you didn't have a child, you can get your husband to have a child with some other uh, concubine of something. Today, that's not acceptable. Correct? But in those days, it was culturally acceptable. So there were many cultural things that were there in the scriptures. In fact, the scriptures are saturated with a lot of things that have occurred throughout history in the biblical uh, times that were obviously quite culturally acceptable. However, The Bible writers never gave in to the intimation that you could uh, do away with any portion of God's inspired writings because of some cultural issue. In fact, none of the Bibles is written from a cultural perspective. And I'm making a statement that some will challenge me at, but any time that God inspired something, even though it might seem to be cultural, he inspired it because it was the right thing. Uh, there were circumstances that that uh, demanded God to give certain counsel, and sometimes it's not understood correctly, so people think it's a situation ethics matter. But the reality is that uh, I was uh, being challenged by some brethren who, who uh, were not very happy with me because I was speaking in behalf of... Uh, the official church position of not ordaining women pastors. And they were very upset with me because I spoke against it and began to ask me, what about uh, slavery? Do I believe that uh, what the Bible said about slavery was correct? And I said, yes. And so they thought I was, I was uh, <laughs> for slavery. And I said, no, I'm not for slavery. God gave counsel to slaves Just like he would give counsels today, if you happen to be a slave, how to carry yourself in a situation that is beyond your control. God may not be pleased with the situation, but God is never pleased with somebody hurting themselves over a situation that they cannot change. And so, with the little girl who was a slave, God inspired her to tell Naaman that, hey, you want to get healed? There's a prophet in Israel. She was not complaining about the fact she was a slave. She was content in whatever situation the Lord allowed her to be in. And in that situation, she led that uh, man who had leprosy to be healed. What do you say? So there are circumstances in the scriptures that God uh, overrules in circumstances, like Joseph, who was a slave, but he did not complain. He simply accepted his lot, and God brought him out of that situation and put him up into being in a high position. Now, you and I know that that's not the normal thing that happens with people. They may be slaves. They may be slaves for the rest of their lives. Is that true? And so uh, believing that God counsels slaves to to love their masters uh, is the same counsel God gave us who are free to pray for those who are kings and who are over us. Not that God necessarily approves of those people, but he disapproves of us having a spirit that's militant and that is, is uh, rebellious. He wants us to be people who, in spite of our circumstances, give great light and shine to others who have not the light. What do you say? So the scriptures then are filled with stories saturated with cultural issues, but it doesn't change the fact that it's the scriptures. Jesus then says that the scriptures actually testify of him. The entire Bible. How much of it? The entire Bible is to testify about Jesus. If I were to ask you, who wrote the Ten Commandments? What would be your answer? Who wrote the Ten Commandments? Huh? God did. But who? About Jesus. Who? Was it God the Father or God the, God the Son? How many of you say God the Father? Can I see your hands? How many of you say God the Son? Can I see your hands? How many of you don't want to raise your hands? <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's called being safe, right? <laughs> okay. The one who wrote the Bible was Jesus. Who? Jesus. Jesus. If you read the book of Exodus, you'll find out that it says that God asked the seven elders to come and visit with him. And he said they saw God. Who did they see? God. They saw God. Okay. But we know from the scriptures that Jesus said no one has seen the... Father, so if no one has seen the father, who, who were they seeing? They were seeing the son. And if you go to, to uh, Acts chapter 7, you'll find out that the angel that appeared to Moses in the bush was Jehovah himself. It says an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and then it says after that, the Lord looked out and saw him, and then it says God spoke to him. So in the same bush, either there were the angel, the Lord, and God, Or there were three titles for the same person. And if you study Acts chapter 7, you'll see that it says that Moses spoke to the angel that gave him the holy oracles. The what? Holy oracles. And what are the holy oracles? The Ten Commandments. So who wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger? It was Jesus. I wrote a book called The Angel Who Is Jesus. What's the title? The Angel Who Is Jesus. You can get it at the ABC and you can see all the times that Jesus appeared as an angel in the Old Testament. That the Bible truly is the inspired word of God and that that word became flesh is speaking about none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is your creator. Jesus is your lawgiver. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your redeemer. And Jesus is the rescuer who will come and take you back to the Father. Would you say amen to that? Okay. So it's a matter of studying uh, some of these things out. So the angel who is Jesus, you can get it from the ABC. And I'm not here promoting my book, but it's the fastest way for you to study something because I'm not going to be able to give you all those studies that I'm going to be mentioning. Okay. So uh, if you continue then, since Christ declared all the scriptures to be the word of God, it would be more than what? Blasphemous for anyone to assume the impossible task of what? Determining what piece is inspired and which is not. Several years ago, a book was written called Inspiration. How many of you remember that book? Any of you remember that book? None of you, one person remembers that book. I'm glad the rest of you don't. Because it was simply, it was simply stating that certain things in the Bible are cultural, and if they're cultural, they're not inspired. And that's what the new hermeneutics is. It says the same thing. If it's cultural, it's not inspired. For example, it says that Paul said, let the women be silent and ask their husbands at home. And they're saying that that's a cultural statement, therefore it cannot be inspired. Okay. However, uh, the problem is, is that Paul is not saying that all women should be silent. He said, let them ask their husbands. Let them what? Husbands. Ask her husbands. Was every woman living in Paul's day married? Was the answer? No. no. So what was the issue? If it said let them go and ask their husbands, it wasn't referring to all women. It was referring to women who in the church were talking to their husbands. And it was good counsel. Because if you are of a Jewish descent, and your services divide the men from the women, it is not appropriate for women to come and join in with the men. And even still today, if you go to a synagogue, the men worship by themselves and the women by themselves. Do you understand? So the council was good council. When I first went to Korea back in 1968, I went to church. I discovered that the women were sitting by themselves on the left and the men on the right. So if I went and sat on the left, would that be acceptable? Why? So would it be good counsel for Paul to say, Pastor, you need to sit on the other side. Do you understand what I'm saying? So just because something seems to be cultural does not disqualify it as being inspired. In fact, Paul himself made a statement. In Corinthians, he says, if you have any question about my authority, I want you to know that everything that I'm speaking is inspired. Paul himself says that. Okay, so Christ then gave the counsel through prophets to guide God's people to know how to get from point A to point Z. And you can see the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is revealed in providing for his children everything that they will need to know how to escape the uh, booby traps, the incursions, the obstacles that the devil would throw in people's way so that they could not make it to the kingdom. And so in the scriptures, you find all the counsel that you need even how to eat correctly, so you have a better chance of making it to the kingdom. What do you say? Okay. So, Timothy was inspired by Paul to believe that the scriptures were inspired. Paul wrote to Timothy and said that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee what? Rise. Wise unto what? Rise. Salvation. You want to be saved? Amen. Then what should you turn to? The scriptures. Then it says, through what? Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, how much of it? All, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly finished unto all good works. The word inspiration actually comes from what we call the Greek today. Which is, uh, you know, when we talk about air uh, uh, equipment, pneumatic, you know what, what the pneumatic is? Okay. Pneumatic has to do with air. Theo has to do with God. So God breathed. Okay. So inspiration means God breathed. Which is interesting then, that the writers of the scriptures are not the authors. The writers of the scriptures are the scribes. There's a difference. I have secretaries. I dictate to them. And they write down what I dictate. They're not the authors. Who is? I am. They're simply writing down what I told them to write in my behalf. So they're called amanuensis or scribes, or in today's vernacular, secretaries. Uh, How many of you have been to a court? If you've been to a court, you know there's somebody there pecking away. What do you think they're doing? They are recorders. They're They're called what? Recorders. What are they doing? They're actually registering down in written form what is being verbalized. They're not the authors, they're simply just registering what is being said. And so, the prophets simply registered what God told them. They registered it in Hebrew. Uh, and it's amazing also, think of it. Moses studied 40 years in what language? In Egyptian. And what was a written language? Hieroglyphics. Imagine if Moses had been inspired to write the Bible in hieroglyphics. <laughs> hieroglyphics was a lost, it's a lost language. And it was not until 1822, after that the uh, stone, Rosetta Stone was found. It was not until 1822 when it was deciphered. So nobody would have known the counsels of God if Moses had written hieroglyphics until 1822. But God rather chose to write the scriptures in a language that could be maintained throughout history. Hebrew is still basically the same Hebrew today that it was in the time of Moses. Hebrew has 22 letters. How many? 22 letters in the alphabet. So God chose a simple language to confound the wise or the wisdom of the Egyptians. He chose one of 22 letters. What do you say? And because of that, we can find scrolls that are ancient and you can still read them because it's the same Hebrew with just a few minor changes today. What do you say? Amen. So you can see God's wisdom. Now, notice what it says in Second Peter. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of what? Any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And by the way, I want to make a statement here, because I was in a certain meeting where they submitted a change in in the the verse, this verse, to make it uh, neuter rather than uh, masculine gender. And the argument was that anthropos is a neuter word. And even though they were scholars, I had to stand up and I had to challenge them and say, "Uh, unfortunately, uh, you're not correct. That's not politically correct to say to a scholar. But when you come to the scriptures, you have to do away political correctness. Truth is truth. What do you say? And Mrs. White makes an interesting statement. She says that the understanding of the scriptures held by the common people is most accurate. Okay. the understanding that the common people have of the scriptures is more sacred she doesn't say the scholars she says the common people because god gave it inspired so that the common person could understand it what do you say Amen. and i'm grateful for that because when i first became a christian i have to confess to you my reading level was about the kindergarten reading level i was a professional musician But I didn't depend upon reading. I dropped out of school. I got left back in fifth grade. Then I got left back in eighth grade. Then they promoted me because I was too old to remain in eighth grade. And so by the time they gave me an IQ test, I was an imbecile. And so I uh, got into show business and accelerated and ended up playing with Bill Haley and the Comets. Remember Rock Around the Clock? And so I became a professional musician. But when I wanted to become a Christian and the pastor offered to baptize me on the condition that I would take Bible studies. And I looked at the first study, and I saw a word that to me was a $50 word. I thought I would never get baptized. Because Daniel chapter 2 was the first lesson, and it had a name that started with an N. <laughs> and what was that name? <laughs> no goodness, I couldn't even pronounce it, let alone know what it meant. So that's how I started. But by God's grace, I found out. That the word of God is simple enough that if you apply your hearts to it, God will bless you. Because we're told that the spirit of God will teach you more in one moment than all the wise men in all the ages. And I believe that because it happened to me. All right? So I challenged and I said the word anthropos is not neuter. It is masculine. Because only men wrote the Bible. Well, the scholar got up and says, an assumption That man wrote the Bible because there's good evidence that Esther wrote the book of Esther. And I didn't have an opportunity to respond. So I wrote my response and I said, reveal to me. Give me any proof that you can find because I've searched high and low. I talked to scholars. I read the spirit of prophecy. I read the Bible. And I can't find any support for Esther writing the book of Esther. So he wrote back and he said, it's true. It's debatable that Esther wrote the book of Esther. And I wrote back, I said, no, it's not debatable. It is clear. It is what? It is clear that God chose men to write the Bible. Esther did not write the book of Esther. He said, well, Deborah wrote the Bible. And Mary wrote the Bible. This is a scholar. And I said, no, Deborah was a subject of the one who wrote the Bible. Mary was a subject the one that wrote the Bible. And if you use that to prove that Mary and Deborah wrote the Bible, then Balaam wrote the Bible. Then Nebuchadnezzar wrote the Bible. Then Pilate wrote the Bible. Because they're all being quoted. Do you understand? And so, then I said, Jesus used anthropos, masculine. Not neuter. Because even though the word anthropos is uh, new the word in the sense it's generic. In other words, it includes all people. It is always including all people under mankind because God first made a man. Is that true? And so under the man, God includes all women, children, etc. So he uses the word mankind as masculine. And the Greek has a Greek word for womankind, which is different than uh, the anthropos. And then I said, if it's it's neuter, then you have a problem. He said, what's the problem? I said, Jesus was talking to the disciples about uh, marriage. And Jesus said, in the beginning, have you not read that? In the beginning, God made a man and a woman. And then he said, and then counseled them that a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they become one flesh. So, I said the word that Jesus uses there is, in the beginning God meant an anthropos. The word Jesus is using. And then he says, and and when an anthropos leaves his father and mother, he is to cleave unto his wife. But if the word is neuter, then it's not a man. It could be anything. You can cleave to his wife. you understand? And now we have a problem. All right? Then the disciples responded and said, if that's the case with Andropos and his wife, then it's not good to get married. So did they understand what Jesus was talking about? Yes. They understood he was talking about a man and a woman. Now, why am I using this? Because I want you to stress, I want to stress the reality that there seems to be a confusion today as to what the word really means. But I think anybody who could read that if a man cleaves unto his wife, then that has to be a, a man. Is that true? Therefore, when the scripture says, holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, it is clear then. That God intended to use men to communicate through the scriptures. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't use women. Because there was Anna, there was Huldah, there was Deborah. The issue is not that God did not use women as prophetesses. The point is that God used men to write it. So God wrote about the prophetess Huldah with a man. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, no, maybe so? Okay. Now, continuing on then with the issue of inspiration. That's why I titled Inspiration. Given that they both believed that the Bible was inspired by God, lends to the reason that Paul and Peter ardently defended and commended it. Paul's writings were based upon his understanding and dependence upon the Bible as being the irrefutable word of God. Wherever Paul went, what did he use? He used the scriptures. To do what? He used the scriptures to support his teachings that Christ in verity was the Messiah. And he only proved it by the scriptures. The only time that Paul moved away from scriptures, uh, using the scriptures, was on, the, on Marsh Hill. He sought to use philosophy against philosophy. And when he did that, even though he did speak about the, the God that you don't know whose name it is, and uh, even though he spoke about the resurrection, still Paul shifted from what he normally would do to argue with prophecies about Christ being the Messiah. And so when he did not succeed at Athens Hill, he decided to switch back and preach Christ in him crucified. So, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our what? Our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Christians, might have hope. It was to the scriptures that he also pointed to to convince the Jews that Christ was the Son of of God. Notice what he wrote in, in Acts. This is when he was leaving Ephesus for the last time and told the people that they would not see his face again. And now, brethren. I commend you to God and to what else? And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Paul believed that the scriptures were given by God specifically so that you could have an inheritance with the saved. It points back to the Eden to Eden. He understood that, that through the scriptures, you would eventually, if you followed it, would end up in the kingdom. Peter himself believed that Paul's writings were inspired. That is what it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 15 through 16. An account that the longsuffering of our Lord is Salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given him, have written unto you. Now, what does he say? According to the wisdom, what? Given unto him. Who gave him that wisdom? Peter is recognizing that what Paul was writing was coming from whom? From Paul? No. It was coming from someone who was given it to him. Okay. Now... As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable twist or rest, as they do also what? The other scriptures unto their own destructions. So if he says they're twisting his writings as they twist the other scriptures, where is Peter putting the writings of Paul? on the same par with the other scriptures. So, if Paul's writings were on the par with the other scriptures, then are they inspired? Yes or no? Yes. They believed it. Matthew twenty four thirty five, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Away. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth how much? Yeah. Nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are? And they are? Life. So, the words of Christ are spirit and? And they are life. And so, now let me shift to some other inspired counsel concerning this topic. The soul that converses with God through what? Through the scriptures, who prays for light and opens the door of his heart to the Savior, will not have evil what? Imaginings, worldly schemings, or ambitious lust after honor or distinction in any line. Okay? So, the soul that converses with God through the scriptures, who prays for light and opens the door of his heart to the Savior, will not have evil imaginings, worldly schemings, ambitious lusts after honor or distinction in the line. He who seeks for the truth as for hidden treasure will find it in God's means of communication with man. And what is that? His word. David says, the entrance of thy words giveth light it giveth understanding unto the simple. So the role of the scriptures then is an antibiotic, as it were, against the infiltration of evil thoughts that seek to seep into the mind. Do you have challenges at times with evil thoughts that creep into your mind? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, As I study, I've, I've discovered that She says that many, many sincere devout people also are harassed with evil thoughts. But then, what's the remedy for it? The Word. The Word. The Word can neutralize those evil thoughts as your mind determines to place itself on the train that reveals divine inspiration. God, through his word, can blast those evil thoughts away. And it is the only thing that has the power to cure evil imaginings. So, if you have challenges with that, start memorizing the scriptures. Start doing what? And you may say, I'm too old to do that. And I can tell you, you're not too old, you just got weak-minded. And what's the difference? When you get lazy in your mind, you know, let me say this to you. There are people who say, I don't like King James Version because the old English is hard to understand. Yet, little children at the age of five can speak three different languages. How is that? Are little children smarter than the older people? No. All the components are there for a child to learn turn languages when they're children. The problem is that if you don't take advantage, and unfortunately the, the, the psychologists of our time have duped the Americans by telling them, don't speak two languages in your home, the child will get confused and he will not learn to speak. Okay, That is a fallacy. But that was something taught by psychologists several years ago. The truth of the matter is, is that you can teach your child? When I was in Romania, there were some little children, three, four, and five-year-old, two boys, that I was staying in that home, and the mother only spoke to them in German, the father only spoke to them in Hungarian, and then they spoke to, to them both in English. And in the town, everybody spoke Romanian. At the age of four and five, those kids were speaking four languages. How many? Does that make them brilliant? No, just makes it the reality. The problem is that the King James is not the problem. The problem is that we get lazy. We get what? Lazy. Lazy. What you expose yourself to is what you learn. When I went to Romania the first time, I wanted to learn Romanian, but I couldn't because my translator kept on speaking English. So three months later, I went back to do another evangelistic meeting, and they gave me the same translator. So I said to him, we don't want to see you for a week. Nothing personal against you. But you're using us to learn English, and we need to learn Romanian. As long as we're around you, that's all we going to speak is English. So we want to go someplace where nobody speaks English, period. Put us with somebody who doesn't speak a word of English. And they did. They put us with an old couple, 82- and 80-year-old couple, didn't speak a word of English. And so, Michael, you're going to have to stay sit until Grandpa finishes. Good boy. And so, when, when we were there for a week, by the time we were finished with that Romanian couple for a week, we were able to speak enough to say, I'm hungry. I want some bread and some tomato or this or that. So, uh, I turn left or turn right or where you're going, how are you, all the basic things we learned during that week. But before that, we didn't learn anything from the other situation. What was the problem? The mind will go the easy way. But you have the ability. Listen, there was a lady 92 years old. How old? 92, 92 years old in uh, California, where we were living, up by PUC. And she began to sense that she was losing her memory. And she didn't want that. So she determined at 92 to in- strengthen the memory. Here's what she did. She determined to memorize the whole entire book of Revelation. At 92. And guess what happened? She could quote the whole book of Revelation. At what age? So what's the problem? (laughs) You know the rest of the story, okay? He who seeks for truth as for hidden treasure will find it in God's means of communication with man. What is the means? His word. word. All right? So, what man is there that dares to take that Bible and say that this part is inspired and that part is not inspired? I would have both my arms taken off at my shoulders before I would ever make the statement or set my judgment upon the Word of God as to what is what? Inspired and what is not inspired. How strongly did you feel about that? I would have my what? My both arms taken. Pardon me. My both arms taken at my shoulders. So she was very animate about the inspiration of the word. Here's another one. I would have both my arms taken off at the shoulders before I would ever make the statement or set my judgment upon the word of God as what is inspired, what not inspired. I have been shown faults and wrongs. Been shown what? Faults and wrongs. Of individuals who profess, what do they profess? They profess perfect confidence in the visions, but found fault with the instrument. What was she saying? They say that they believe the spirit of prophecy, but something wrong with, with, with the uh, instrument. Okay. The natural feelings of their heart rise up in rebellion against the visions which have exposed their what? Their errors and evil. Instead of humbly acknowledging they had erred, they found fault with the manner in which the vision was delivered. They didn't like the idea. And by the way, I should say this to you. She makes a statement that says this. Sometimes God will allow the truth to come to you in the way that you may not appreciate it. But she says your safety is to consider if it's truth or not, not in the manner in which it comes. Because sometimes what rises up is self. You may not like the way it was said to you. But she says if it's truth, accept it irrespective uh, as to how it comes. That's good counsel, what do you say? Because you and I must recognize that there are things in our hearts that we like to protect. And if we want salvation, we must be willing to make whatever changes, irrespective of how it comes to us. All right? Then she says, instead of humbly acknowledging that they had erred, they found fault with the manner in which the vision was delivered. They took the position that a part of it was correct and a part of it was a mistake, that I had been told circumstances and thought that the Lord had shown them to me in vision. In other words, you didn't have a vision. Somebody told you about it and you thought you had a vision. All right, now, has God placed his work in such a careless manner that man could fashion it to suit his own inclinations, receive that which was agreeable to him and reject a portion? Would God give visions to correct His people of their errors and then trust to the erring one's judgment to receive or to reject what portion of them He pleased? Is that the way God would work? No. Then it says, What would be the use of what? Of visions in the church if held in this light or if erring individuals in their darkness were left to make what application of them they pleased? This is not the way that God works. If God reputes people through an individual, he does not leave the one corrected to become the what? To guess at matters and the message to become corrupted in reaching the person it is designed to correct. Now this is, I, I put it in, in yellow. God does what? Gives the message and then what? Then say special care that it is not corrupted. And I think the Dead Sea Scrolls have demonstrated that. Mm-hmm. For centuries, there was a lot of arguing as to what was correct, what was not correct. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they realized then that what had been written, had been written. That it was actually correct. Praise the Lord, what do you say? Amen. All right, listen. Listen. I'm supposed to finish quickly. There are some that may think they are fully capable with their finite judgment to take the word of God and to state what are the words of inspiration and what are not the words of inspiration. I want to warn you of that ground, my brethren in the ministry. So who is she speaking to? Pastors. Pastors. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. There is how many... No finite man that lives, I care not who he is or whatever is his position, that God has what? Authorized to pick and choose in his word. So there are how many? Zilch. How many of you are acquainted with that word? I know it's a word that was more Eastern than anything else. There's none that none zero all right nada when jesus was talking to the jews of his day they had accepted the greek mythology idea that when you died you went through a place of burning to purify you okay today that's called purgatory all right and the jews had accepted that so then jesus used a parable in luke which sometimes people get confused with it because Jesus sends the rich man to to, uh, to this place of, of uh, purification and he sends the poor man up to, heaven, to Abraham's bosom. And some people use that to prove that the dead really go up to heaven. But it doesn't say the dead went to heaven. It says it went to Abraham's bosom. And the bosom is the chest. And if you believe that everybody who dies goes to Abraham's bosom, then Abraham must be having quite a big chest. Right? All right, it was a parable. It was a what? It was a parable, teaching a lesson. And the lesson was this. When, after all the going back and forth, and Jesus sent the people to the wrong places, by the way, because in the Jewish idea, if you were rich, you went to heaven. If you were poor, you were a terrible sinner, and you're supposed to go down to the burning place. That was the Jewish idea. And if you were rich, you were close to Abraham, because Abraham was rich, okay? So you had a ticket to heaven. So Jesus sends the wrong people, or should I say, send the people to the wrong places. Rich ended up in the place that he was supposed to not go to, and the poor ends up in the place he wasn't supposed to go to, Abraham's bosom. And so then it goes back and forth. And finally, this is what Jesus says. He says, Abraham says unto him, they have what? Moses and what? And the prophet. Let them what? Hear them. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the, neither will they be what? Though one wants to rise from the dead. In other words, they wanted a miracle. They wanted a sign, and Jesus said, "You don't need a sign. You have Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, and the prophet. That's what it means by Moses. You knew that, right? Yes or no? Yeah. In German, they have first Moses, second Moses, third Moses, fourth Moses, fifth Moses." They don't have Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right? In other languages, in Hungarian, they have First Moses, Second Moses, Third Moses, Fourth Moses, Fifth Moses. So, when in the Bible you find Moses, it's referring to the first five books of the Bible. So they have what Moses and the prophets. Neither will they be persuaded though one was rise from the dead. And it's interesting that later on Jesus did resurrect a man from the dead named Lazarus. Did they believe? No. It says that they plotted to kill Lazarus also because he was a prime uh, evidence of Jesus. All right? For the time will come when they will not endure, what? Sound Sound doctrine. doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn to fables. And so... Conclusion, when I became a Christian, I had not studied the Bible, because obviously I didn't know how to read. I became converted. Uh, after a tour, I was doing a tour with Bill Haley in the Comets. I don't know how many of you remember that, Rock Around the Clock. I was playing the bass with him at the time. Went home, and while home, discovered two of my brothers had become religious, and they tried to talk to me about Jesus, and I didn't want to hear anything about Jesus because I was into show business, and I was supposed to go on this long tour. And, but their example let me sense that something had happened to them. They were not the same boys that I had grown up with, and I could not explain it how they had changed. And they kept on telling me it was the Bible. It was what? The Bible. We began to study the Bible. Through the Bible, it became change. Well, that didn't make any sense to me. How can a book change you? Do you understand what I'm saying? But I could not deny that something had changed them. My brother, the oldest one who was going to get baptized, had been into terrorism. My other brother was the president of the largest Puerto Rican gang in New York City. I myself was in a gang. And so, what changed them? What changed them? And then I had an experience with God, where he instantly removed from me all those habits that I had, all those uh, cravings that I had, for the drug and the wine and the this and that. And when that took place, and it was instantly, it was what? when that took place, I knew that there was a God in heaven. Mm -hmm. And then when I began to read the Bible, I discovered that in the Bible it talked about the new birth. And then I realized what I had experienced. Then I met my wife, a young girl that came from La Sierra to do park evangelists from New York City. And they asked me to help them out. So I went to help him out. And I took her out to eat some Spanish food. And when we got to the restaurant, she looked at the menu and she says, There's nothing here I can eat. And I thought, What's wrong with this girl? And uh, I said, What's the matter? She said, I'm a vegetarian. I thought it was the name of some disease that she had. <laughs> I'd never heard of the word vegetarian. And I said, What is that? Oh, at first I said, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, What is that? She said, I've never eaten meat in all my life. I said, what? He said, I've never eaten meat in all my life. So I called over the waiter and Spanish and I said, look, get something that never had a mother, doesn't swim, doesn't walk, doesn't fly, and just get something, you know, vegetables and all that. So he did. We ate a lovely meal. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, this makes sense. And she's a girl. She can do it. If she can do it, can I? So right there I decided to become a vegetarian. Never had a Bible study. Okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? Well, later on I studied the scriptures. What do you what do you think I found? The first diet in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Is a one, A vegetarian diet. So God led me to the experience first, and then he led me to the word to confirm the experience. Do you understand? And so the more that I saw the confirmation in the scriptures the more I was certain that the divine God who changed my life is the one who inspired the Word. And that's why I believe that the Word is the answer to our our ailments, because it leads us to the one who could do something for us, the one who was able to do something for us, the one who was able to change us. And so we're living in the days where the Bible is being attacked, and it's being attacked in different ways. And my encouragement to you is this. Don't be shaken from the word. Don't be what? Shaken from the word. Believe the word. Follow the word. Obey the word. And if you do so, you will find yourself being on the path that leads upward. Turn your back on your word, and you'll find yourself on the path that leads downward. Downward. God has given us his holy word for the purpose of helping us to understand the challenges of life, how to become better people, how to become better, uh, healthier, how to become more intact with, with goodness and righteousness, how to live righteous lives, how to treat others as they ought to be treated. All the good things that God has for us are written in the Scriptures. You'll become a better husband. You'll become a better wife. You'll become a better son. You'll become a better daughter. You'll become a better father. You'll become a better mother. All through the Scriptures, there's only one thing that will happen to you. You'll become better. You just have to believe it. That's why it says, believe in the prophets, so shall ye prosper. And so, how many of you want to prosper? How many of you believe that the word is inspired? I believe it with all my heart, and we must follow it. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, its inspiration. We thank you that you have given it to us, common people, so that through it, we may understand the glories of heaven. We're thankful that you have chosen babes to teach, that you have not given your truth to the wise, but to the simple. And that you, through your word, intend to make us citizens of that heavenly kingdom before we get there. Change us, make us all that you want us to be, Help us to honor your word, cherish it, keep it, obey it, follow it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we have a couple of minutes if you have any questions. If not, may I assume that we made it clear. Yes, sir, you have a question. The movie Blackboard Jungle was actually made in 1954, and I was not with him at the time. That, that movie was made... Um, they were looking for a theme song, and uh, they picked the Comets for that theme song. And actually, that's what of pulled the, quote, rock and roll music into what it is today, uh, or what it became. Um, if it had not been for Blackboard Jungle, that movie, then probably Bill Haley would not have been a known person, the group. So it was a movie that made the comics, not the comics that made the movie. So the answer is, no, I was not there at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Just a minute. When were you with them? I was with them in the 60s, 67, 68. Okay, not then. No. And that time, I was playing with another group called the vampires. We changed from flying as bats to flying as comets. <laughs> okay, you were asking a question? Have, had a Have I had a chance to, to interact, with interact with the old group? The answer is yes. Uh, once I, I, um, I became converted, I called them up and, and told them I quit. They didn't understand why. If you go to a website, uh, Rockabilly something, uh, it has some of the people who actually did were members of the Comets and people who were not members of the Comets. And the reason they do that is because there are people who say they were, they were Comets, and this website certifies that they were not, but it certifies who were, and I happen to be one of them who were, okay? Uh, but if you look, look at that, it says that during the time of the Comets, he found religion. And so, uh, what happened was that I called him up and I quit, but I, I was too embarrassed to tell him why. I was just, you know, still kind of half there and half here. So, what took place was that I, I, uh, I got drafted. I became honest, so I wrote to the military of the government saying, you know, <laughs> here I am. And they were kind enough to send me a letter of invitation. You're hereby inducted into the United States Army. So I got drafted. So I, got, I was baptized April 13. By the way, I, I quit in about March, okay, uh, no, February. Uh, by April 13, I was baptized. So everything happened very quickly. And by June, I was in the Army. Uh, I got drafted. By July, I was in. And so I was sent immediately over, overseas during the Vietnam crisis, and I kind of lost connection, contact with everybody. So when I came back, uh, they reassigned me to New York City because I still had another year to go in the military. And somebody told me that they were—they had—they uh, were coming to Madison Square Garden to do a show. So I uh, went to Madison Square Garden. I took six books with me—six steps of Christ—and uh, knocked on the back door. And uh, <laughs> the guard came and said, "Who are you?" I said, "Tell them it's Little Lou." That's how they knew me, Little Lou. So. He went, disappeared, came back. He said, "Okay, you, you can come in." So I went, and Im- he took me immediately to the to the dr- dressing room. I got to the dressing room. The boys were there, uh, and Martha, the wife of Bill, was there. Uh, but uh, they were just announcing them to come on the platform, ladies and gentlemen. You know how they it. There were thousands and thousands of people in Madison Square Garden. I mean, thousands. But I sense it was. The whole the whole atmosphere was very, very, very... Uh, nothing spiritual was sensed there. It was very dense and all that. And I had a little boy with me, and I was afraid for him. So I went back to the dressing room, and I told uh, Martha, I said, please give these to the boys. So I one for each, each of them, and I left. So I d- don't know what happened. You know, when they came back, whether she gave the books or not. So... A year later, they came back to New York City again, and they were doing something in the bitter end down in Greenwich Village. And I'm talking about places that you probably have never heard about. but it's Manhattan, where NYU, uh, New York University is. So I went to see them again, just to kind of find out what happened. And this time, they wouldn't want to see me, because I went to tell a guard, the guard disappeared, came back, and they won't let me in. So I don't know whatever happened. Then in 1977, I was doing a wedding down in Texas, and the organist kept on looking at me and talking to my wife and said, you know, I've seen him someplace, I've seen him someplace. So my wife said, yeah, he used to play with the commons. Oh, really? Well, my best girlfriend just sold her mansion to, to Bill Haley, and nobody's supposed to know. So my wife called me over and said, this lady knows where Bill lives. they give giving me his address. So I went to visit him, and he was not there again. His wife was there. So I talked to Martha again. Bill was supposed to be out fishing someplace, and uh, that was the last opportunity I ever had. So I don't know if Martha shared with Bill my being there. I don't know what happened to the steps of christ whether or not they took him or not. Uh, but since that time, all of them are dead, so I have no idea whatever happened to them, whether they responded, whether, you know. I have my hope is they did, but I know in 1975, Rudy uh, got cancer and died. Thats a successful player. Uh, Bill Miller died. Uh, Rudy Pompelli, uh, Johnny Lane was a drummer, died. So basically, uh, Bill died in 1980. Anyway, so I didn't have the opportunity that I wanted to, to witness them. To you have a question. Yes, that book uh, it was Alden Thompson's book, Inspiration. And that book, he was, he was uh, sharing that some parts are inspired and some parts are not inspired. And so... To me, very interesting. I come from Ontario and they have Well, what I'm saying to you is, brethren, that irrespective of who says what, the reality is that the Bible is the same. Uh, every time I open the Bible, it still says the same. It hasn't changed. And I've been reading the Bible now every year. I read the Bible through. And I've been reading the Bible now for 46 years, and it still says the same. It hasn't changed. It's just misunderstandings. When people have certain agendas, when people have certain <coughs> desires, uh, especially when people don't like what it says because it doesn't meet the particular ideas, uh, that's the why they like to change it. But uh, the reality is that it's still the same. It's God's book. It's an inspired book. It has power to change the life. Yes, sir. Just to go back, uh, we were playing with Bill Haley. Okay. Um, what happened was that uh, I got drafted, and I went to basic training. Um, the question is, uh, what happened in the service when I was? they wanted to do a contest, and what, what took place? Um, when I got drafted, uh, I just I didn't know that that these people read your records. And so a captain doing AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training, I was uh, being being prepared to be a medic for for Vietnam. Uh, The captain came to me and said, uh, Private Torres, he said, I need your help. And I was shocked. Captains don't ask you for help. They usually give you orders. So I said, how can I help you? (laughs) He said, well, we're going to have a talent contest. I said, and? He says, "Uh, and I want you to help me. Because I read your records and I found out that you're a professional musician with the Comets. And? He said, well, I want you to play with our group because if you join them, we'll win the contest. (laughs) And I said, no, no, thanks, Captain. I I don't do that anymore. He said, aren't you a Christian? I said, yes. Don't Christians help people? (laughs) I didn't know what to do about that. I was brand new Christian, okay, so, uh, so I'm I'm kind of embarrassed, you know, because this captain wants me to help him, and I don't, so I I had, rather than praying, I came up with a plan. So I went to the band and I said, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll help you under one condition. I said, what's that? I'll hide behind the curtain. <laughs> my idea, you know, in my wisdom was. If I hide behind the curtain, nobody will see me, so I will not be a wi- bad witness. But the band will know that I'm a good Christian because I'm helping them. Okay. So that was my plan of attack. So, so I got up there, hiding behind the curtain, and I thought I was in control of it. And I discovered you don't control it. It controls you. Because as soon as I came to... I started out behind the curtain. When I came to, I was up in front of the stage doing what I normally would do, with a, on, in a split with a bass guitar behind my neck, playing a solo, and everybody was whistling and screaming and applauding and all that. So technically speaking, we won, technically speaking, okay? But when I realized what I had not done, the very thing I didn't want to do was what happened. I was a bad witness, I felt. So I walked out of there, and like Peter, I wept that night and realized that uh, I got, I gotta stay away from this thing. I thought I had the control over it, but it controls you. So I left it alone. Did you win? Hmm. Did you win? I didn't care. If I, you know, my 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 uh, sorrow was you know I I left. I didn't want to know what had happened because I I felt so. I felt so embarrassed that here, I, uh, like Peter, you know, though all others will, I shall not, you know. (laughs) Well, I discovered that that's not the way it works. So I left that. And when I, you know, fortunately with my wife and I, my wife was a classical violinist. And uh, she was a concert violinist, in fact, and first chair in New York City uh, under the Conductor of the New York City Opera House in New York. Uh, So she played violin, and I played bass. Well, bass and violin don't agree. And she was not going to give up the violin. And so I knew I couldn't do duets with violin, with my bass. So I decided I'd learn to play guitar. And uh, even though I couldn't read music, Everything I could hear, I could do it. So I would tell her to play the accompaniments on the piano, and then I would transfer them into the guitar. So she and I do. Um, in fact, the CD is at the ABC called Still Praising, uh, Guitar and Violin Duet. So I don't know how many. I think they had about 15 last time she told me. So if you're interested in the music, it's there. Still Praising guitar and violin. All right. If you like guitar and violin, you'll be blessed by the CD. Not because we did it, but because music is a gift from God. Right. All right, let's stand together and pray. Loving God, thank you so much for the privilege we had to be together, to study together. And we ask for your spirit to continue to guide us to be faithful and true to that which you've delivered to us. As a result of great sacrifices, you preserved the Bible.